0: Oompa, loompa, doompa-dee-doo. I've got another puzzle for you. pa loompa, doompa-dee-dee. If you are wise, you listen to me. Who do you blame when your kid is up? Rat pampered and spoiled like a Siamese. Cat blaming the kids is a lie and a shame you know exactly who's to. Gloop, Augustus Gloop, the great bakery, the evening, Augustus Gloop, so big and vile, so greedy, foul, and infantile. Come on, we cry, the time is right to send him shooting up the pipe. But don't dare, children, the alarm. Augustus Gloop will not be harmed. What else can a poor boy do but stay up in a rock and roll band? Because in this London town, there's no I, place for a street fighting man.
1: I was gonna say I need no sympathy because I'm easy come, easy go. Little high, little low.
0: <laughs>
1: anyway, the wind blows doesn't really matter to me.
0: To me. To me. Well, welcome back to the Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And uh, remember before, me? I think we all remember you. I know. You're a very memorable person. And by the way, before we get started, just remember if you want to reach us about uh, anything that we talk about, uh, you could send us an email to wagesofcinema at gmail.com and uh, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, SoundCloud so you can keep up to date on all of the latest podcasts. Uh, and we try to post every two weeks if we can with the occasional. Local Vocal Podcasts, and if you can write us a review, that would be very helpful uh, to give us a little bit more visibility uh, on iTunes. Uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of podcasts out there, but we, you know, I, we, we know you like us. You really, really like us, so.
1: And write an iTunes review, and we will read it for you until yes. that you have done it, so you, when you listen, you will know that we appreciate you.
0: Yeah, because we appreciate you right back. We're We're the appreciators.
1: So please, write a review. We'll, we'll read it on the podcast. You won't be sorry.
0: Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr. Uh, we're not on Snapchat, so don't send us any of your x-rayed pics. Do uh, you know what Snapchat you is? do. Yeah, if you I do. I
1: have a secret email <laughs> that
0: we're just built up for things like that, so. Andrew Bertrand of the, the Snapchat. Um, now, what we wanted to talk about in this uh, segment... Uh, is films from a particular author who has really made his mark on cinema history, uh, particularly for those uh, for children, yeah, but or and families. S-
1: some uh, some authors become uh, their their literary work in- inevitably becomes intertwined with the work uh, with the film work that's based on this thing. Stephen King is one such person. Yeah, uh, uh, Shakespeare also gets his his due. Yes. Uh, plenty of other off- authors
0: have been. John Grisham, Well, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're talking about authors who get branded a certain way, like, to the point where you if you suddenly see a movie based on an an author's work and it's not what you think it is, you go, Really? Like people you know that Stephen King actually has a story about how he um he was once in a supermarket and this woman came up to me and was like, you're that Stephen King. You write all those scary stories. I don't really like those. I like heartwarming stories, like the Shawshank Redemption. And <laughs> Stephen King is like, I, I wrote that. And she's like, no, you didn't.
1: <laughs> it's hard to believe.
0: But uh, the author we're talking about today is Roald Dahl. Yes, and Roald Dahl, is I cannot you pronounce th- his name? Roald yes. Dahl. Because I sometimes had trouble with that because his name ends with a D and starts with a D. Yeah. So tricky. I guess it's Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl is off the tongue. Um, he has written many, many classic children's books. Also a few books for adults, but mostly books for children, many of which I, I, actually, I read as a kid, uh, many of his books, and so many of them stuck with me.
1: Yeah, and what's what's surprising is going back to the films based off of his work. It's surprising how much of what a range of treatment they got. We go from animated films to live action uh, to a a lot of
0: stuff, which is uh, (laughs) musicals. And yeah, uh, and also things that are done without music, and very interesting
1: adaptations.
0: Yes, and also by a lot of big name directors, which uh, we'll get to those. But I, I guess I want to start off talking about well, the most recent one. Yeah, the impetus for this, which is the fact that you know the filmmaker, you know Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, uh, you know he he finally took it upon himself to tackle. Rawl Dahl, and he made a movie of the BFG. Right. Um, which you ex- saw. Yes, I, I saw this movie over on July 4th uh, with my wife. And um, it's... I, I'm going to use a word which sounds almost corny to describe a movie. Um, this movie is enchanting. Hmm. This is an enchanting, just del- purely delightful experience. Um, now, it doesn't mean it's completely without, you know, it's you know slightly villainous evil characters uh, for those of you who don't know the story it's this, this little girl is in, is in an orphanage and she's always up at what she calls the witching hour because she can't sleep so like three in the morning she's, she's still like, awake
1: uh what's his name from Fight club <laughs> Edward Norton <Yeah.
0: laughs> This is, I guess you could say this is like Fight Club for kids.
1: I'm going to draw a lot of comparisons like that throughout the show, but sure. uh,
0: keep going. Well, remember, things. she's always own, up at the witching hour, here. which is... Well, uh, and one night, she's, and she's up, and she's looking out her window, and this giant hand comes out and fixes something in the street, and she's just staring at it wide-eyed. And this giant comes and picks her up and puts her in his bag. And uh, you've seen a just this beautifully done little sequence how he moves about at night like he it, like he, he puts himself up as if he's like a giant lamppost or he hides himself against a building in silhouette and it's one of those just classic spielberg kind of sequences mm. all done without words um and the the, the 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 giant uh his name is the big friendly giant aka bfg takes this girl back to the land of giants and you see this friendship develop. At first, she's a little bit like, "Who? Who is this person?" And some might criticize it and say, "Like, well, she becomes a little trusting of this guy very quickly." But a, they're both kind of lonely people. He's the, he's a giant, but he's a much shorter giant than all the other giants on the island. I am that the they're on.
1: shortest giant. <laughs> Well, he's, he's kind uh, of another g- children's book. Phantom Tollbooth. Awesome. Great.
0: Yeah. Oh, good, good mention. Thank I love you. the Phantom Tollbooth. I am the world's tallest midget. Yes. Guilty, 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 guilty. Sorry, guilty. Has another. that been adapted to film? Yeah. Chuck uh, Jones made a cartoon of it. You ever saw it? Oh, no. You should check that out. I will. There is like a great sequence involving uh, the doldrums. Mm. that I remember. I just remember I that was one of those vocabulary words that I learned. Doldrums. Yeah. Learning that word made me feel a little bit smarter. It's like I learned a word today. And you never had to
1: word learn another word again.
0: <laughs> I've used it occasionally. I could I've been able to fit it into Facebook statuses. I'm nice. in the doldrums today. But back to the movie. This is a just
1: I'm a mathematician.
0: <sighs> yes. Um what you get in this movie, uh, first of all, one of the nice things about it, um Spielberg just made a movie last year, uh, Bridge of Spies. And that was the movie that uh, the actor Mark Rylance actually got the Oscar, kind of the surprise upset against uh, Sylvester Stallone. And, you know, in that movie, he kind of surprised everyone by how subtle he was and how deeply felt he made this Russian spy. And now with this movie, he plays the BFG. Uh, it's slightly in a motion capture kind of way. That's like a lot of the giants are are in that form too. Um, but he brings just so much heart to it. He doesn't overplay it. He makes him almost like a nuanced giant, if that's possible. Hmm. He brings out the loneliness of this character. And it's not... It's it, It's it's an interesting movie also in that um, it was the final script by uh, the writer Melissa Matheson, who also worked with Spielberg on E.T. Um, and this is... Kind of a spiritual cousin to e t because in that you also had the story of these two lonely souls who come together um and they become friends and have this bond I'm not gonna say this is e t level Spielberg I mean you know few films are yeah but it was but it was really good it really was touching i was i was smiling through a lot of this movie this nice. is like a big smile worthy movie um it it doesn't have, like, a cynical bone in its body. That's something that's so rare with a lot of kids' movies today. So many kids' movies will, a lot of animated movies especially, you get things like, "Um, forget having substance, let's just throw in, you know, cartoon sidekicks who will dance in the end credits. And the kids will want to dance, and yay, let's go buy some minions, and blah, blah, blah. Remember that thought as we move on. Okay. Well, (laughs) yeah, I know what you're thinking. Um... But it's just, it has a pure spirit about itself, the way that it's made. Um, It has almost a timeless quality, even though I actually missed this, like, Corey spotted this. Uh, Like, what happens is, without giving too much of the story, but they have to, like, the Sophie, the little girl, and the BFG want to try to find a way to get rid of these big, nasty giants who keep on bullying BFG and, what?
1: BNGs.
0: (laughs) BNGs. That's racist. Um, <laughs> but no. It, um, and she, like, the little girl devises this plan that they'll meet the Queen and ask for her help. And there's this moment in Buckingham Palace where you overhear somebody say, Oh, is Ronnie up yet? Oh, I guess uh, maybe you can get Nancy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you do know it. technically it's supposed to be the 80s, but they don't make a big deal about it. Right. So. Like, a lot of the really strong raw doll movies, it also has this timeless quality, which, you know, that sometimes is a problem with kids' movies, where the modern day will make it dated a little bit. Yeah. Um, this, it's just, oh, such a delightful movie. The little girl is a really good actress. Her name is Ruth. Ah, uh, I forget her last name.
1: Her name is Ruth.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Babe Ruth. Um... We're and not I game just, experts, but I would just say if you have a little child, uh, take their take your kid to see it.
1: If you have a little child, get a babysitter. Go see the BFG by yourself.
0: Yeah. Now I don't know if I might be slightly biased because, and I don't know about you, and I don't know if we're gonna if this will be a tangent type of thing, but as a kid, I read the book, and this might if you put a gun to my head, this might. And he said, "Pick your favorite Tall movie." Pick it. But now. <laughs> Pick it! Pick it! Pick the favorite book! Okay, okay, BFG! It would be BFG. So but me I mean, just, <laughs> We're
1: going to have a whole entire series, which is going to be... It's called Gun to Your Head, <laughs> where I play the gunman, and it's like, alright, which one's your favorite Star Wars film? You, you'll be Samuel Jackson. What's your
0: favorite documentary or fa- or Bergman film? Describe to me your favorite Shakespeare movie, <laughs> but um but no, as to your head coming got, out this fall, yeah uh, but as, a, as a kid, like I really loved this book, so it was it was pretty closely translated from what I could remember, like there were certain parts of the book that I had kind of forgotten, but I mean, there are also certain things that I mean if you're a little bit of like a curmudgeon, you might be like please. Like there are certain things on that. Do you remember the book at all? I didn't read the book. Oh, okay. Well, you should get on that someday. Um, it, there's a thing that involves this drink that the BFG has called, it's called like fizzy bottoms. I forget the name of it, but it involves certain gas results. Flatulence. Yes. Th- this, it's the kind of movie Where Spielberg tries to have a fart joke that outdoes Mel Brooks or something like that, like in Blazing Saddles. And he does... It's pretty damn funny. Um, If there's one thing I think this movie had a problem with, not with the movie itself so much, but with the release. This release was very badly timed because, you know, Finding Dory is still out and this... Actually, as we're recording this, this other animated movie, The Secret Life of Pets, comes out. Um, So it just doesn't stand a chance. It doesn't stand a chance building its audience right now. The one thing I will say, though, I think this does have lasting power. I could see this movie being played a lot in schools. And I think if if there's any luck, this will be the kind of kids' movie that will hopefully last longer than certain other kids' movies. I mean, just because kids uh... are fed so much... Garbage! Like I saw a trailer before this movie. They're doing a movie of trolls.
1: Trolls, like the dolls. Those haven't been popular in about ten years. <laughs> I know. I, I know. Well, we're getting Tetris, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised.
0: But... <laughs> They're really scraping the bottom. The- we're gonna get like Yahtzee the movie b- before you know it. Because why not? Um, but no, this was an excellent. Uh, time at the movies. So if you have a little kid or you just like Spielberg, go see it. Yeah. Yeah. BFG. So that was one thing. But let's um, the other movie Big that I watched. Big
1: freaking giant.
0: The other movie that I just watched, uh, literally today, uh, was The Witches. You watched The Witches today? Yes. Nice. I, I had and because I because I I I found The Witches to be very interesting. Yeah. As I saw it. It was it was. It is certainly a movie that you wouldn't be able to make today, not the way that they made it. No, like it. it, I think our 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 mutual friend Matt Rosen kind of he watched it recently too, not connected with us, but just on his own, and he described it as almost like dead alive for kids.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It does have that feeling, the way that it's shot. It has that sort of that. It's going to break out and a be a somewhat wild cheap exploitation movie feeling. Yeah, that that films of a certain kind have, like Dead Alive, where it it seems there's something cheap about it.
0: It's almost kind of close to almost how like an exploitation movie might be made. Yeah, almost. <laughs> and it has similar uh special effects. In it. <laughs> well, th- th- it comes from the Jim Henson company. Yeah. He was a producer this on it. This was
1: actually the last film Jim Henson personally
0: oversaw. I thought that it was either that or Ninja Turtles. Probably. This. Probably both were being made at the same time. But yeah. But one of the last ones. And um, and it was
1: actually the last film adaptation of one of his books that Roald Dahl ever saw. He, yeah. He died the year the film. And initially...
0: I don't know if you know this. Initially, Roll Dahl was, like, really angry about it. Like, he yeah. actually didn't like the movie. <laughs> For
1: good reason. Yeah?
0: Yeah. Because... Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, yeah, I gotta I say, say... this. This is interesting... I won't say I loved the movie. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. Um, I enjoyed it, even though I have certain misgivings about it. All
1: right. Um, well, The Witches is basically the story of a young boy and his grandmother. They go on vacation in a hotel, and it be- and the hotel is actually the convention center for the witches of the world. All yeah. every witch in the world goes there. Well, not every witch, but you know the ones who can afford to go to the convention, and they plan a way to kill all of the children in England. Yes, seriously.
0: By, yes, they 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 basically tell this. Angelica Houston is the the head of these witches. Um, by the way,
1: Angelica Houston as the head, the great the Grand High Witch. There are a lot of adults today who will probably look back at this. Angelica Houston, as as the Grand High Witch, and mm-hmm. sigh very fondly. Why?
0: She looks awesome. <laughs> well, the makeup job is just... Well, you know, the thing about these witches, they, they're not how they appear. At first, no. they just seem to be women. They look like
1: regular people. but Well, they,
0: except their eyes. Which are purple. Yes. Um, but then, like, when they're behind closed doors, and this little boy, Luke, is hidden in there with his mice, and is watching the scene unfold before him, where they all take off their wigs and their shoes, because witches have...
1: They have boxes. no toes.
0: Yeah, and the Angelica Houston reveals herself to be, like, this super grotesque figure. A you nose know.
1: a foot long.
0: Yes, <laughs> uh, the great nose grows work. out. Excellent great makeup work, and, you know, as you would expect.
1: I mean, but just her looking like Angelica Houston... Well, also she's, with a... not, she's not just, you know, this sort of nasty woman, but she looks sexy in this. A little bit, I'm... in a way. This may be a personal taste thing, but it's she, she has this sort of weird sexiness in this film, which is kind yeah. of weird for a children's
0: film. You don't. You would never see that nowadays. They don't really play up the sexiness no. per se, but she does look. She's she's not unattractive as. On the contrary, you, she's she, quite attractive. She steals the show. Yeah, to me, like especially you know they get. She uses a German accent, yeah. which just makes her more. Evil. And of course, the
1: Grand High Witch would would be German, of course.
0: Yes. You know. Um. And basically, yeah, the, these witches they're told, all right, leave your jobs. You're going to open up sweet shops and candy stores. And you're going to kill all the children. So it's like the evil version of Wonka. Yeah, basically. it's a much more evil version. And yeah, basically, this kid and then another kid, Bruno, are turned into mice, and they have to try to hatch a plan so to, to kill all the, the witches. Point. Yeah, it's and it's got great puppet work. Yeah, the little mice are kind of are nicely done. I mean, I wish that they had looked had a little bit more personality to how they looked. I know it sounds like a weird thing. Not, it's a very tiny I, they display. look like
1: mice, but whenever they do a close up they have really good puppets to work with that yes. they, they look furry and cute and just like mice. you know they're kind of built
0: up to look different though because you know they're just puppets, yeah, but... you wouldn't get that today. they would just completely c g i it but here it's like, oh, the mice is actually the the mouse is actually there, like at one point, a mouse is trying to get a certain object into a pot. And you really feel the tension because yeah. you can see the mouse on like the ladle, huh. um, and which
1: really makes me think. Because for every wide shot of a mouse, that's a trained
0: mouse. Yeah, yeah. They, they must so have they had, had some... to.
1: Re- they really had to work their butts off to really get these mice to do what they wanted them to do. Especially yeah. when you have one mouse balancing on the end of a spoon, or one that's trying to climb up a an electrical cord or, or a table leg.
0: That, yeah, interesting too. The director Nicholas Rogue, who I don't think made another kids movie before since, um, you know, he was known for doing really. He's like d- I, I I've done my work. I We're mean, he set. made very out of the box movies like Don't Look Now, and The Man oh, Who Fell to Earth. I love Don't Look Now, and uh, even though it
1: kind of pisses me off.
0: <laughs> yeah, I in way I could kind of feel that way about this movie. Like also just the sequence where. I don't know if we can get into what we call spoilers. I mean, the movie's, like, over 25 years old. Um, so if you haven't seen the movie, you know, make sure to watch it before we say we're about to say Try to be as
1: few spoilers as possible.
0: Well, when all the witches are finally eating their dinner, yeah. that sequence is quite a thing to see. That's where it gets <laughs> into full, like, dead-alive mode, so yes. to speak.
1: Um I'm pretty pretty tame by yeah. dead alive standards, but I will, still
0: I will say the ending was a little unsatisfying
1: for me. And that and that's part of the and that's kind of the downfall of this movie and why Roll Dahl
0: was so upset. Well well the book was more open ended. The book was how like you know, in that one he's still a mouse at the end. Yeah. And I think that that would have been a stronger ending to me because with the tone of the movie, you don't even need to say either way if he's turned back into a mouse or not, but you have it open-ended where, Oh boy. Now, like the grandma and the mouse are going to go to America to try to stop these witches. Yeah. But then no, that doesn't happen. They become the last witch hunters. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and it's, it's, it's pretty enjoyable, even though that cheap quality that you were talking about, occasionally it would, I'm not going to say take me out of the movie, but it's almost like wide angle, wide angle. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. It's like the way that the image is a little bit distorted in that movie. It's like almost every shot is that. Yeah. And it's just, um, you know, it's a nasty looking movie. But that's almost like a positive. Like, I I think as a kid I watched this movie. But I must have blocked out a lot of it or forgotten it. Because all I remembered was that climax. Mm. And how I think that kind of freaked me out as a kid. Because of how they used, like, the puppet work and the special effects. But, um... But, yeah. Um,
1: Here's here's a touch that I really like that I wish more films would do. Okay. The witches are part of this... They're... When they're, like, reserving the hotel for their little convention... Uh, th- they, they are part of a group, which is, they call like the Royal Society for the Protection of Children or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, pretty uh, darkly comical, but I'm just so glad that they were an organization whose acronym did not spell out what they were. What does the acronym <laughs> spell out? Nothing. It's just the <laughs> RSPCC. Yeah. It's and, not like... and in a lesser film, they would have been called like the Women in Teaching, Caring and Handling. Spelling which, yes. That, I hate it when when
0: when films like, do that. Like shield,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, that's different because it's not like they're literally disembodied shields that fly around.
0: Yes, I was also thinking about um, in. Well, this isn't an acronym for a full group per se, but in Woo's brothers, yeah. uh, I guess I guess those Kotzagotskamods, Skamods State. County municipal offender data systems. <laughs> okay, sure. Um but yeah, the witches. Films pretty... gotta work harder on their acronyms. I think that I would be if I had a kid um at least maybe not too young, but maybe around six or seven, I would show them the witches. Yes. And I'd be like, have fun with this. And hopefully the kid might cotton to it. And they'll um, wonder
1: later on and they'll fi- they'll wonder later on why Angelica Houston made them feel so funny. <laughs>
0: Like like butters on South Park. Oh sweet Jesus <laughs> Looks down at his crotch. Um Yeah, but now yeah, so the the Witches was a thing in nineteen ninety. Um Wow. No, it it was. I mean I don't know if it was a big hit or not. I, I think it kind of it kinda of came and went from theaters and it became more of a thing on video.
1: I did have to look it up to realize that it existed. What do you mean? I didn't know it was a film before we decided to do this episode. Oh,
0: okay. You didn't read the book for that either. No. Um, but well, the, of course, the most well-known of well, his books or or movies. Well, let's build is... up to that one. Let's okay, Talk we'll about a
1: different film. Okay, uh, James and the Giant Peach.
0: Now, I haven't seen this in quite a long time, but a lot of it has stayed in my memory. All in right. part, also because the book was very vivid, too. Yeah. I think the opening of the book really messed with me and i don't know i don't know if the movie does quite a good job as the book does in rendering that but it still is quite the thing like it's hard
1: to harness how devastating the opening of james and a giant peach the book
0: james's parents get like demolished by a rhino by a rhinoceros
1: yeah he starts out happy life parents get Butchered by her the rhinoceros. The first two
0: pages.
1: And then he has to live with his terrible ants who, who just uh, basically keep him in this sort of cell of a mm. room.
0: His parent, the parents also die in the witches, too.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean that was just like a car accident. That's those things
0: happen. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But but yeah, no, it's it's such a. I just remember as a kid, I'm like, Jesus, Roll doll. It's really <laughs> violent. <laughs> like I, I was still like, okay, his parents die, but it almost seemed like one of those things that they don't that,
1: just die. They get
0: they get slaughtered. <laughs> yes, they get ripped to shreds. Um, I, I think the movie eschews that a little bit. But yeah, Jane. Yeah, they
1: get killed by a rhinoceros, which is probably the most yeah. Dolly esque de- way to die ever. <laughs> and. <laughs> I will make sure that the rhino will kill the parents. But then he. Uh, he uh, there's a giant peach involved. He makes friends with a bunch of giant bugs, and they make their way to New York. How,
0: but... how did he get. How did the giant peach appear? He had the
1: glowing little worm thingies that fell into the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's where it gets into a. Uh, there's a thing I wonder about this, because the first, the introduction is live action, up until we get to the giant peach part.
0: Yeah, no, when they get to the giant peach part, that's where, um, the movie's directed by Henry Selleck, Yeah. who was behind Nightmare Before Christmas, he also did Coraline, oh, yeah. and uh, a couple other things, but... Um, Probably nothing important. Well, you ever <laughs> seen <Monkey> Bone? Nope. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. the nobody first... Remembers that.
1: Act. I don't know if you'd say it is. It, it's hard maybe to say first, because the opening of the movie, the opening of the film, is live action. Yeah, it's like and the big, then James switched, is like an actor. Yeah, and then it switches to stop motion animation. Yeah, for for a bulk of the film, but then in the end, it changes back to live action again. Mm. And I'm trying to figure out the only reason I can think of made to do that was perhaps time constraints
0: or maybe a budget thing because um, well I, I think it could make sense in that it's it turns into like a more magical fantasy movie uh, in but, that middle section but the, the still, opening and the see... end are a little bit more based in the real world
1: yeah but still it has a very stylized look to it i mean it's 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 a burton production co-production oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, he's he makes you know a twisted looking house on a twisted little hill mm-hmm. uh and the ants who are just these hags Oh, and, yeah, then, yeah, and then the New York too. City is very stylized. Well, it looks like a it looks like a movie set, basically. Yeah. With with wooden buildings, and I and I don't see what the point was, except maybe to somehow cut down on the amount of production
0: time. It could have been that, but then these you know, it it, do, it is a. Lo- very intensive to do that stop motion it is
1: and you know i appreciate that it, it takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of hard work and, and just it takes a, sh- a large amount of time being able to just do everything yeah but, and there's some wh- very impressive stop no, motion. There doesn't seem to be any real reason why you would
0: skimp on any of that there wasn't really a logical reason for you why it suddenly becomes stop motion yeah okay or why the whole thing wasn't stop motion, right? Hmm. I, if
1: if everything was very stylized before and unrealistic, and not many people get killed by rhinoceroses randomly, yeah. And
0: unless if like imagine if the parents were killed by stop motion rhinos, yeah, that would have been fun. to see. Um, I remember the the songs were a little hit or miss for me. Yeah, it isn't musical. Yeah. But, and it's, but it's not a very good musical. Yeah, I just remember this one song that everybody sings, like, that's the life for me, that's the life for... For some reason, that's the one that sticks in my head. The other songs are kind of forgettable.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but the,
1: here's the thing that's really important to remember about this. Okay. The film is less than, a, less than 80 minutes long.
0: Yeah, I don't remember... It, it is a long. short...
1: It's shorter than Texas Chainsaw Massacre, actually. <laughs> but And if you cut out all the music, and all the stuff that they added that's not in the book, it would be less than an hour long.
0: Yeah, I forget if... I think the book was a regular length book. I, I don't... Well, Roald Dahl's books aren't very long. No, I mean, yeah, yeah they're, they're kids' books. Yeah. Like, The Witches, I think, was the, one of the longer ones, and then, uh... Yeah. Um... But in in light of that, I think we should also then connect that discussion with uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, yeah. Which is also stop motion. And um, it's interesting because Henry Selleck didn't work on the movie, but he did work with Wes Anderson before uh, for little tiny moments on... And you talk about how, like, stop motion just suddenly happens sometimes. and It seems jarring. In this movie, Life Aquatic, with Steve like. I remember in the trailer there were these stop motion sequences. Yeah, at little random moments they'll look down at like here's a little seahorse, and they'll look down and they'll see like a stop motion seahorse yeah. for like five seconds, and then they'll get up and the rest of the movie will go on, and it, it's kind of charming and just very offbeat in that Wes Anderson way. I almost wonder if it was him trying to do his little like see if I can do this before I jump into Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, well, that's that's a long. Period yeah, it is. Now, also, Fantasmes for Fox, the book was also one of my favorites uh, as a kid, uh, and to see it made into a movie, that was one of my most anticipated movies for like years. But I think
1: this is the great thing about it: Fantastic Mister Fox is a film that's unlike any other rolled doll a- adapted film. How so? Because it's so much of it is Wes Anderson.
0: It's, it's there. There ev- is the Roald doll spirit, is in it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like in the story, I, is there. I haven't.
1: I actually haven't read the whole book. Okay,
0: I, I've read the
1: beginning. That stuff that happens in the book does not begin happening until thirty minutes into the film. Everything that comes before that is just a lot Wes of anderson. a
0: lot of it is very anderson andersony as far as like are you cussing at me are you yeah. cussing at me are you cussing at me or like fox and the badger getting into their little hissy yeah. fit um
1: and, and the whole thing with like buying a new house and mr Fo- fox having a column in the paper he and doing this whole one last robbery thing
0: what you get is like and i'm not uh, Yeah, go ahead. You, what you get is a, a filmmaker who really takes this world that Roald Dahl's created and yet makes it purely his own uh not unlike I would say with the BFG I think Spielberg did that to an extent with his movie adaptation maybe not as much as you know when you see Fantastic Mr. Fox you don't have to read the book you can just enjoy it as a yeah. Wes Anderson film which or you... you can enjoy it just as a regular film
1: I and mean, yeah. the fact that it is a Wes Anderson film does not make it less accessible.
0: It might be his most accessible movie yeah. to me. Or, um, you know, it's... The character's neuroses or the, the, their little emotional problems, <laughs> they're... They, it almost... Because it's funny how, you know, you have things like, you know, Mr. Fox is, you know, not very a very good husband or father in certain respects. No. Even though he wants to be. And he... Um,
1: He's kind of self-centered, but yeah. but, he, but he's also very charming. Yeah, that's... which is not hurt by the fact that he's voiced by George Clooney.
0: Oh yeah, and then his wife is Meryl Streep, right. so that that certainly doesn't his hurt either. His son is played by Jason, uh, Jason Schwartzman. Jason great Schwartzman. voice cast. Such yeah. a great Bill now, Murray. It,
1: it is a little tricky because it's hard when Mr. Fox is talking not to see George Clooney. Because it is just George Clooney being George Clooney. I can kind of see that. It's that tricky thing of when you get celebrities to be voice actors. One of the interesting but, things... But, you know, after um, a while, it's oh, just sorry. so charming that, you know, you don't mind that you just see George Clooney. It, yeah. it just becomes uh, very nice.
0: The way that they did the voices was unlike most other animated movies. Because usually they just get the actor, they put him in a booth, and that's it. Say things. Yeah. This, uh, uh, from what I understand, and I've seen some behind the scenes on this movie they actually got all the actors together and they actually acted out the scenes. Mm. Like, as if kind of in the locations they were not exactly the same. But, like, they would have, like, George Clooney and an actor in a barn. yeah, And they would be acting the scene out and they would have somebody recording their voices as if it was, like, a regular movie.
1: It's very rare to have voice actors in the same room doing a scene together.
0: No, no, not even... uh, like I've heard Gilbert Gottfried talk about how he never, you know, he he barely ever worked with the guy who played Jafar on yeah. Aladdin. The only other
1: example of this I can think of is actually in Frozen. They did that when okay. when it was the the two when the sisters were together doing certain songs or mm-hmm. or having performances. They they tried to do that to make their their interaction seem more affectionate and more organic.
0: Yeah, um, it, and it's
1: surprising because when they put animated films together, they just seem. So... They do seem very organic. Yeah. it's this. Uh, it's a really a testament to voice acting and to the the skill of animators to make that really work. Yeah, and I, I'm surprised. I don't know what it is though. I'm surprised they don't have people get together more often. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the reason is. Uh,
0: it, it's it, what's great too is that this movie, the visual style itself is time at times is funny. Yeah, the way that like the shots last so long and then you get to see all these little details as like characters are running across like a screen <laughs> or when
1: they're like tunneling. Through the earth, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> or how, or just like little things, like when the dog eats blueberries and it like it's immediately you, with, you yeah. see the dog immediately the X's come over its eyes. Yeah, <laughs> great, great soundtrack too. It um, you know usually Wes Anderson he uses a lot of rock songs, so you get uh, "Street Fighting Man" All from right. the Rolling Stones. <laughs> um, the movie opens with like Davy Crockett. Yeah that's pretty nice. Um yeah, just wonderful wonderful movie.
1: I just love the fact that it's it's such a fusion because directors every once in a while you talk about what if like what if David Lynch made a horror film. Mm. And not like his sort of creepy films which people say are like horror. No, I I mean like an, an honest to god horror film. But and often it doesn't it doesn't happen. Like Mich- Michel Gondry, he made The Green Hornet. Mm-hmm. And that's not really... It, it doesn't have much of Michel Gondry in it. It's it just, has a little bit. It's bits just an action film that happened to have been directed by him. Well, that's like... with. And that's you know, what that's yeah. what most of these things end up being.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, well, that's like we were just talking about the witches. I mean, I don't know how much Nicholas Rogue put himself into that movie. I mean, maybe a little bit with the visual style. Maybe. But you can't really... I mean then again I don't know fully what it's probably you his it would
1: probably be better known for the work that Jim Henson put into it than for anything Nicholas Rogue did. Yeah, but, yeah. But Fantastic Mr Fox is such a great fusion of Wes Anderson and Roald Dahl. Now, I, where it's the, yeah. the where it's the very simple uh some, sometimes edgy narrative of Roald Dahl put uh you know wrapped with this uh, shell of Wes, Wes Anderson and his style.
0: Now I know we were going to talk and about and in
1: animation. Yes.
0: <laughs> now, now I know we're going to talk about this. We were meant to talk about this a little bit later, but do you think that Burton's style was fused at all with his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Almost. I feel like it was. Almost. Although it's it's weird, but though. the results are not. They're a little uneven. Yes, there. uneven. That's the word for it. We'll get into the, the Willy Wonkas in a little bit. Um, now, you wanted to talk about uh, Matilda? Matilda. Now, I should tell you, if I did see this movie, I don't have a memory of it. I remember <laughs> little bits of it, and I read the book, so I feel like I'm I'm doing that type of thing where I'm transposing my memory of the book onto the movie. Yeah. Um, what I like about the story is that it's kind of like Roald dolls. Carrie. Sp- Oh uh, yeah, well, Carrie, but with like an, an- a spin against an- about. It's also about anti-intellectualism. Mm. You could say because a little bit, well, yeah. Matilda is you know she's this extremely smart girl, like very very smart, and her family are all like Luddites. No, they're not. They're not
1: Luddites. They're just boors.
0: Yeah, they're they're like working class stiffs who just don't really get who anything aren't very to do.
1: Nice or sympathetic? No. Or...
0: Is, is Danny DeVito the father? Yes. Okay. He yeah. is also the director. Yes, he did. He directed this movie. Danny DeVito is an interesting directorial career. Because I don't know if you know, he's, his taste skews very dark. Mm. Um, he made uh, Throw Mama from the Train, uh, I've heard uh, which is a very funny, very twisted movie that's a little bit like Strangers on a Train, but with like an old woman. Yes. And then um, War of the Roses, that was him. And then, like, Death to Smoochie. <laughs> so all these movies, and yeah, Matilda has a little bit of a dark spin of its own.
1: Yeah, the dark, the darkness comes out in some, in some pretty interesting ways. Although sometimes I think he pulls back from it a bit. Mm. I mean, there's a scene where a child gets flung over a fence by her pigtails, yeah. and she kind of just ends up okay. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And it's
1: like, yay!
0: Well, I feel like the dark part was also reserved a little bit for the... Was it the headmaster? The headmistress? headmistress. Yeah. Miss Trunchbull. Yeah, Tr- Miss Trunchbull. Um, I just remember from the trailer, her whole... Like, one of her speeches. I'm right, and you're wrong! Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, Matilda's up against her in the movie, too. Paul Rubens is in this, too.
1: Oh, yeah? Yeah, briefly. He, he's, like, a, an FBI agent.
0: hmm yeah, I mean, I don't remember the story super well, but I just remember that it's like, we're very, we, you know, we find Matilda very endearing because she's, you know, she, she's kind of the outsider, but her mental gifts are so strong that she yeah. uses them to very unique effect. Yeah, she's a... If that's right. Is she a telepath in that? Is she, that why you brought up Carrie?
1: She is... She has telekinesis. She can move things with her mind.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, that's part... Well, yeah, it's like, at first, she's just extremely smart, but, like, she keeps... Her brain keeps getting more intense. It's (laughs) not unlike... You know what it almost reminds me of now I think about it? Did I ever tell you about this movie, Lucy? Yeah. Luke Besson movie with Scarlett Johansson, where, although in that case, she's this girl who uh, gets drugs injected in. Not inject into her, but Accident. she's yeah. I know she's I, meant I, to be a drug mule, and it's these smart pills that make her brain use quote a hundred percent of her brain, which
1: is complete garbage.
0: <laughs> I know, but it I ends mean, up make. But like you
1: didn't have to say that. You could just. We you know what makes that worse. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, everybody gets that wrong. Tons yeah. of movies have gotten that. Like you only use ten percent of your brain. Whatever. Yeah. But here's what makes it worse: the in the trailer, the person who says that is is a neuro uh, is a, neuro, a neurologist speaking at a conference, played by Morgan Freeman. Yes, it's so jarring
0: because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're getting like the voice of God telling you this. So like he's supposed to be this authority. It's like human beings are only use ten percent of their brain. It's like
1: Morgan Freeman is just improving at a. At a medical conference,
0: mm-hmm. like once you get past the complete junk science part of anything to do with that movie, it ends up being kind of a fun action movie. But you have to completely, pun intended, completely... leave your brain at the door. Yeah. Um, but Matilda, that it's a lot smarter than that.
1: Yes. And I, I and at the end of this film, I kind of wanted there to be a crossover between Matilda and Carrie, where they find mm-hmm. each other with tell with uh,
0: why would they fight each other? Wouldn't because they, like, Matilda's align? good.
1: And Carrie, even though she's sympathetic she's clearly she clearly crosses to the dark side at the end of that film
0: mm. ah, so like the good Jedi versus the Bad Jedi yeah there you go okay well let's not let's not get too many crossovers yeah that. so so Matilda good movie that's good, okay um before we get to the big stuff now you watched a movie which I have never seen
1: all right the reason i yeah, and the reason I watched this is because. He Roald wrote, Dahl wrote a few screenplays.
0: Yeah, for a short time, he tried his hand at writing scripts, which he didn't seem to enjoy. No, he he. <laughs> twor- I think he also wrote the script for Willy Wonka, but then he oh, but then it later got completely re- right. he he really has no kind words against that movie.
1: Well, he also uh, and he also wrote the screenplay to a movie called Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. All right, now what is this movie? All right, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is it's kind of complicated, but I'm going to go the simple way. <laughs> isn't it a disney movie no oh okay you would think it would be because it has dick van dyke in it Mm. but no it is not a disney movie it's dick van dyke plays this inventor who's trying to make an invention that'll Mm -hmm. you know restore his fortune uh eventually he builds this car which is kind of alive and then (laughs) go on all right, here's where it gets weird, because... <laughs> oh, this is where it gets weird. And it's weird. not weird because of strange things happen in this story. It's strange because of how they're presented in the film. All right. At the midway point, they go on a picnic to the beach, and Dick Van Dyke starts telling a story to his children, which becomes the later half of the film. Hmm. It's not actually happening in the world of the film. It is a story taking place in, in the film. So if like you were watching Star Wars at, up to the middle point where they get stuck in the trash compactor, and if Han Solo said, "This suddenly re- this reminds me of a story I once heard," and the rest of the film was that story, that would be Chitty Chitty Bang Bang.
0: So they leave behind like where they actually are in the main narrative of the story and have like a big flashback, a giant flashback. Yes. Oh, that it's, almost that that reminds me almost of. Uh, in misery the book like what the book that the James Conn character is writing is actually detailed in the book. In okay. the movie they cut that, all that out. Huh. But um but yeah that that's the one thing it's making me think of. And
1: it's really confusing because right, it, it effectively divides the film in half. And secondly, it's not as if any of the things in the story would have been out of place in the world of the story. Mm. It's as if because here's the weird thing. Rodell wrote the screenplay, but also the director Ken Hughes gets a screenplay credit.
0: Well, so maybe he rewrote some stuff.
1: So I have a feeling <laughs> that the director is responsible for this framing device that comes in in the second half of the story. Because it's just weird.
0: That almost it's, that almost sounds like that that sounds really lame. That's like Godzilla's Revenge, yeah. where it's all like throwing in flashbacks of other Godzilla clips to m- pad out a full movie.
1: Yeah. Meanwhile, the main story is about a child who gets kidnapped by <laughs> sunglass wearing. No, don't uh, look
0: at me. I'm chicken. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, and it's not, but it's not as if like the story is in it is bad either. It's it becomes it the second half becomes this more fantastic story about them flying in the car to save the children from this. Uh, from this spoiled bar- baron of a, of a country called Bulgaria, and yeah. and then
0: Bulgaria—that's yes. not bad.
1: No, not bad at all.
0: But that's almost that. That's like if in Kill Bill Volume One, they the third chapter, which is the Oren Ishii backstory, yeah. became the rest. If of that the became movie, the rest of the film, yeah, yeah.
1: It, it's just weird from a structural standpoint, and it's. It's as if, like, they chickened out on it and they said, okay, we'll just put it in within this framing device. And yeah, that doesn't sense. make
0: much sense. It's like they set up, like, this world with these characters yeah. and then tell a different story.
1: Yeah. It, and here's the other interesting about this film, which isn't really related to anything, but this film becomes kind of a weird James Bond reunion That's because Chi right. Chi Bang Bang was written, it was a book before this, it was written by Ian Fleming. Okay. And it's produced by Albert Broccoli, who produced the James Bond films, and Roald Dahl wrote the script, and he wrote the script for You Only Live Twice. Yes, now I have seen that movie. Yes. And also this features roles by Gert Frobe, who played
0: Goldfinger, (laughs) and the guy who played Q. Oh, Desmond Lewin? Yes. I don't know if I pronounced that name correctly, but... (laughs) That's cool, and it's
1: like, and it was produced by United Art or distributed by United Artists.
0: But aside from that, it doesn't really have much to do with the Bond. Not either. really, no. <laughs> okay, well, I <laughs> guess they just wanted but, to make a kids' movie. Yeah, I guess. But or to a point.
1: And again, this is a musical, but it's not a very good musical. Yeah, there are maybe one or two good songs in this.
0: Mm. Yeah, I never really heard any of the songs from it. Yeah, or if I did, they must not be very memorable. And yeah, Although, if you did yeah.
1: see the movie when you were a kid, there are lots of memorable things about it. It's just that the structure just makes everything seem weird. Mm. I don't know. Okay. And it's also a long movie. It has an introduction. I mean, uh, it has an intermission.
0: Oh, I was about to say, I was, was going to say the...
1: Introductions? We don't need all this backstory. Yeah. Um... But, you know, if we keep going along the screenplay route...
0: Yeah, as we talked about briefly, You Only Live Twice, James Bond Goes to Japan. Uh, <laughs> James Bond... That, that's, that, that be- should be the title, right? I mean, that is the movie where he goes to Japan. There, are, I've seen this movie before,
1: before I decided to watch it again uh, for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of wacky things about this film. Yeah, there are. The first thing I noticed is, like, James Bond fakes his own death, mm-hmm. and then he gets buried at sea, mm. which doesn't make much sense, but we'll skip... There are things we'll let... It's the least implausible thing here. And he gets taken aboard a sub submarine, Yeah, and already M has a little office set up inside of the submarine <laughs> with, Miss of Money, does. with Miss Moneypenny outside the door and a hat
0: rack so that James Bond can throw his hat up there. It's like every sub has to come with a, a hat rack and an office for M and Moneypenny. Or,
1: or M was just traveling with all these things, and he's like, look, if I'm going to do this mission, i got to have an office. I gotta have my secretary. Gotta have a hat rack.
0: Maybe Q is the one that sets it all up,
1: and it's it's something that like belongs in a spy spoof television show. Yeah. It's where like the boss always has an office. This it, that looks like this, no matter where he goes. If he was in the jungle, if he went inside the tent, it would just be an exact replica of his
0: office. Maybe he like carries around like little tiny offices that he can then like pour water on to grow into full size. Yeah. Um, I have a. This is going to sound really bizarre. I have this strange memory related to this movie, um, which I have seen from start to finish, but I remember watching this on, like, TBS maybe, like, 18 or 19 years ago. It was a long time ago. It was when I was first watching Bond movies, like, around, like, when I was 13 or 14. This movie's on TBS. There's a scene of this movie where James Bond is in a hot tub. Does that sound familiar? I think there's a moment where he's in a hot tub talking with someone, and then like a woman appears behind him and like takes off her robe and he looks up and has that like oh, like I I have this memory where James Bond is sitting in the hot tub and he, I don't think he has on shorts and you see Sean Connery's erect uh, schlong. <laughs> are,
1: are you sure this isn't a dream you had? <laughs> Because nothing like that happens in this in this film. It's
0: <laughs> I, I definitely. I definitely would have written that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I know this makes me sound so perverted. No, no, it's... no, no that's not. The, that's not the part that bothers me. It's that <laughs> I imagined Sean Connery naked. And it's just, awesome.
1: it's just how you would imagine a scene like that in
0: the in <laughs> in this film. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Is there a remote, is there a scene where he's in a hot tub talking to someone? No, I don't okay. think so. <laughs> that must be a different movie,
1: then. No, I'm pretty sure no movie I... has a scene where Sean Connery stands up.
0: <laughs> no, 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 he doesn't stand up. He's just sitting there in a hot tub. He doesn't stand up. He's just talking to someone. Well, somebody. then how do you know he's erect? Because I could, like... I, I just... It wasn't like I was looking for it. I was just, like, watching the scene. And, like, I glance, like... I'm, like, looking at the shot, and I look at, like, his area. And I'm like, is this cock out? No. I don't know. I just... Look, well, I'm not going to ask
1: for an explanation.
0: Yeah, but... send all of your Sean Connery dick pics to wait all right, all all right, a Alright, all right, right, all alright, 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 alright. Alright. Point is, this is an entertaining movie. It is entertaining. It, it also...
1: It has one of the coolest evil lairs of all time. Uh, it has ninjas.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Donald Pleasance is the villain. Donald Pleasance, who is... Is he you know, the eye in this? He is. The yeah, best. that's right. He, he
1: he is the best in this. He's, he's restrained, but he's got crazy eyes. And he's got that great scar, and he looks awesome, and he's bald, and he's it's just a perfect... Uh, he's just a perfect sort of iconic villain. Yeah, I mean, there have been so many parodies of of Blofeld in the, in the world, and it all comes back to Donald Pleasence in was, this film. Was
0: he the first Blofeld? I feel like Blo- wasn't Blofeld in
1: Thunderball? He Blofeld was in other films, but he was always like. Behind a chair and stroking a cat. That was the yeah. best you saw of him. This is the first time we ever saw his face mm. and he revealed himself. Yes. But, you know, he has a secret lair in a volcano where he shoots rockets that kidnap American <laughs> spacecraft and bring them back. <laughs> I, that's just a yeah. great plot. Even though... Sure. <laughs>
0: Uh, even, I mean obviously it doesn't even though make much a fun. lot of the things don't make sense. Well it's a bond movie from the 60s What are you gonna do like but it, it has thing,
1: style it's silly but you never felt that the stuff in Goldfinger was
0: silly no and you never felt that way in from Russia with love well from, from Russia with love I actually feel I can actually take that pretty seriously as yeah. a, just a spy movie Goldfinger the- does have some silly things I mean you have odd job. And a character named Pussy Galore. Okay. And <laughs> uh, but, but, God, but like, still
1: if you were to rate if you were like to have those on a scale of increasing uh silliness, it would peak right about at Diamonds Are Forever and then every film that came before it would be less and less silly.
0: So this is the midway point. When it was you could still take it a little seriously but you also had a rocket that goes... And, no, like, I, I th- can-
1: at this point, I think it's over the hump of get, of becoming serious. <laughs> uh, of becoming silly.
0: Well, yeah, by this point, I mean, in 67, the year this came out, you had Casino Royale being made, which was just a straight-out Bond parody. Yeah. So, yeah, Roald Dahl wrote that. How about that? Yeah.
1: Also, uh, last thing about this. Sean Connery in Japanese Face... Yeah! <laughs> Oh, yeah. And very unconvincing Japanese face. <laughs> which is applied to him by makeup artists who are all wearing bikinis.
0: <laughs> Erection may not be included. <laughs> I don't know how it got off on that tangent. Oh, God. My mind. People are going to listen to this. Oh, a podcast about Roald doll movies. I'm though. not editing that out. That's staying in here. You heard it here first.
1: Oh, interesting notes about Sean Connery. I should I should listen to this.
0: Yeah, sure. Hello there, wager. I'm not going to do that. All right, let's talk about the big ones, though, because now we have yeah. two last big guns. Uh, of course, the ones that, you know, I I I don't know if which came first for me, if I saw Willy Wonka first or read the books. And actually, there are two I, books.
1: I saw Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory first.
0: Yeah, well, and I didn't
1: read the book until perhaps a year or two ago. Oh, really? Never. You,
0: so did you? was Roald Dahl much part of your childhood? No, he was not. Oh, really? I'm sorry. Apology <laughs> accepted. No, because that's like... I don't know. I just always thought as a kid, like, Roald Dahl was always kind of there. Like, maybe it was also... Like, Fantastic Mr. Fox, I remember, was a part of my school curriculum. Not curriculum, but it, I read it for school in part in the third grade. And we even made, like... We, we had an assignment to make dioramas out of certain scenes from Fantastic Mr. Fox.
1: Uh, our teachers read as Roald doll. Okay. And, you know, that, w- that was great. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I never kindled to it personally. All right. I, I was always into other things. Sure. And, uh, but... Willy Wonka, Willy is, Wonka is an example was a, of... Was, Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory was a big part of my childhood.
0: That, that, I feel like that's a big part of a lot of... Ch- childhoods you know, and some, people. people's yeah, some people's adulthood yeah some people's adulthood it's it it works as a cult film in a lot of ways because there are certain passages of this movie which are absolutely terrifying <laughs> like when when <laughs> well i mean when willy wonka has the uh, the families in the boat and oh, they're the going boat, through so yeah. that tunnel there is no way way of knowing. There's no earthly way of knowing, knowing which direction, direction we are going. going. Yeah. Is it raining? Is it poor? And then, like Gene Wilder, just freaks out as <laughs> like just going, yes, like <laughs> just completely going. And the that, images that they're showing, like that they're looking at in the tunnel as it's going fast, it's like, oh my god,
1: that scene is great. Yes. Firstly, because it really freaks out children. Yes. And second,
0: because it's so out of place. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of is. I mean, there are other little moments in the movie that are a little terrifying, but not to that level. No. Like, I mean, the moment where Charlie and uh, Grandpa Joe... Are floating up and almost... Yeah, and that almost, is a little... That is intense. Yeah, and almost cut to death And the fan And bling. then their burping gets them back down. Yeah. Um, re- with the exception of one song, this has really great songs. Yes. Or at least memorable songs, I right. should say. I mean, even the opening, uh, and, and they're, they're like, they've, they've entered the popular consciousness. Right. I mean, uh, the Candyman can. Yeah, and, and the
1: Oompa songs, and I've got, well... I have a got... golden ticket. Isn't a huge hit, but it's certainly memorable.
0: Oh, very memorable! I've got a golden ticket. Come with me, and you'll see yeah. the world full of pure imagination. World
1: of, pu- of, of imagination. The
0: only song that I don't care for is like. There's a sad song given that Charlie's mom. When I was
1: a kid, we'd always
0: fast forward through that. <laughs> <laughs> I that's that's a good you know what that's a good song for a bathroom break. If you need to get up. <laughs> if you need to get up and use the bathroom, go during that song. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Cuz I mean, what there's nothing important going on in that song and it's very oh, Charlie's just,
1: sad and he's cheer poor.
0: Cheer up, Charlie. Oh, screw you, Charlie. <laughs> the very funny movie, it does deviate from the book, but it makes it its own thing. And not
1: only that, but it really does improve it.
0: You mean from the book? Yes, I, I, think, I like the book quite I
1: think, a bit. I think it's a serious improvement uh, um, from 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 everything that happened in the book.
0: No, uh, it, it's its own thing. I will we'll say we'll talk that, about this
1: a little later as we talk about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But I will, there are a certain parts. Yeah. It I, is a
0: better movie than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory.
1: I will agree with that, and well, I guess we might as well start talking about Charlie. and the Chocolate Well, you Factory. can't it's, help
0: it. You have like these two movies that exist. Like you know, what's sad though. I. You know, at the moment we have this thing where Johnny Depp is now doing these uh, sequels. Johnny Depp to is movies. not doing well. No, I mean Alice Alice Through the Looking Glass, uh, that Alice Through the Failed Glass, right? <laughs> um, you know that, that had no reason to exist except to try for Disney to try and make more money. Here is what I think is a but, gr-
1: yeah, all right, But I am sorry,
0: I wanted to finish my point I'm before sorry, you get up. You, off you this. finish. You finish. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the book had a sequel. Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. Okay. And I, re- I read both of them as a kid. They both made big impressions on me. The sequel is really fun. And, it, like, because in this... Like, the first half takes place in space. Because, <laughs> you know, at the end of the story... When the franchise is failing. Take it to space. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Well, well, what happens, I mean, if you, for those of you who've seen the movies or read the book, at the end of Charlie and Chocolate Factory, you know, Willy Wonka takes Charlie... And Grandpa Joe, and actually in the book, I think the Tim Burton one, they get their whole family together and they go up in the in the glass elevator into the sky. Now in the sequel, *Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator*, the elevator goes up in the space. <laughs> and I think if I remember correctly, uh, if anybody read the it's book, it's like a TARDIS. No, they like it becomes a little bit almost like. I'm a, I could maybe relate it a little bit. like um, Yeah, like a space adventure, but like they're Willy Wonka. Like, it's, he's kind of like having... You're absolutely
1: comedic- serious, aren't you?
0: This is what the book's...
1: Like, this isn't like your crazy Sean Connery
0: dream. This is, this is something this is, that's actually in print. This is the first half of the book, though. It's not the full book. Like And, and, and the like, second half is well, Willy Wonka first-
1: telling a story about how he built the Great Glass Elevator. <laughs> Now, now I know where Roll Dahl got
0: the idea. <laughs> no, but I, if I remember correctly, in the first half, yeah, like, Willy Wonka is having, like, kind of, like, I think that NASA or some type of the, or the government on Earth wants to, like, shoot down the Great Glass Elevator. And then
1: Spectre and, comes up with a giant <laughs> spaceship
0: and becomes, captures the elevator. It becomes a Moonraker crossover. <laughs> but no, no, then the second half, it involves, like, Willy Wonka has some kind of invention or candy for Charlie's grandparents, and it makes them age backwards until they're, like, real little kids. Stole it from Yellow Submarine. <laughs> Did that happen Yellow Submarine? Briefly. Okay. In the Sea of Time. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: so that was that We are, book.
0: We are making connections that but the point not is, to be made. But the point is... I would have. It would have been kind of interesting to me to, if they had done a sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, whether Burton directed it or not, and you could take that story and just make one of the weirdest kids' movies ever made.
1: Weirder than The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T? Um,
0: sure, why not? Well, if it's possible. Well, if it's possible. But let's talk about these two movies.
1: Now, here's what I think sets... The films set themselves apart. As early as the opening credits.
0: I, I don't remember the opening credits of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Let that Let me fill well. you in. I still remember the movie pretty well. Let me fill you in by telling
1: well. you the credit sequence of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate
0: Factory. Well, that involved lots of candy. Yes. I do you remember that? A montage of candy. It was a
1: montage of <clears throat> candy making.
0: It gets you like, in the mood to Somewhat
1: eat. like chocolate covered wafers. Chocolate kisses being made. Yes, this chocolate just cascading down and building yes. piles. It was, it was a food orgasm on screen. <laughs> a plethora. I remember this very distinctly as a child. Yes, how awesome that sequence was to me. Uh huh. Only Cho- in the Chocolate Factory is a just is a CGI rendering of a plant assembling Wonka bars. Oh, it's it, uh, in a very dark room. Yes. With like mechanical hands, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, it does have the advantage of having a score by Danny Elfman, which is pretty good. Yeah. But it's
0: still it doesn't get near... it doesn't get you in the mood. No, for what it doesn't. The story. It doesn't pump you up because, like with Willy Wonka, you have that opening sequence, and then you go right into. That first musical number in the candy store, right? Which is great because it's it's like you don't even have Charlie there. It's just introducing here's the world of candy. Kids, don't you love candy? The world of Wonka, and yeah, then, and then what's so great
1: about that? They follow up that musical number with Charlie looking through the window. Yeah,
0: that's the last shot it's, of that number. He is out He's the outside. He
1: is outside of that world completely. Yeah, because he and can't. That tells he can't you, afford it. That tells you all you need to know about Charlie. Yeah. Well, there's a little more to it than that, that he's actually yes. a nice guy, and he lives with a family which really loves
0: family. him. <laughs> the Bucket Buckets, who... Someone,
1: someone made a joke about that. The uh, The Wonka company is named after Willy Wonka. Yeah. But who gets the factory at the end? Uh, at the end of the book, who gets control of the factory? Charlie. Right. So they're going to have to change the name of the factory from the Wonka factory to the Bucket factory.
0: Nah, they don't necessarily have to. They I should. I mean... Yeah, I mean, like Ray Kroc took over McDonald's. He didn't. No, it's it it called Krockenstein. Donald. <laughs> Kroc Donald's. It <laughs> could come to Krock. Mega
1: Kroc versus Super Gator. Anyway, um, but it's there. There are just a lot of it, different it's, things. It's, it's, it's Willy Wonka has such a strong opening. Yes, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, <clears throat> it doesn't even really build up to the meeting with Wonka.
0: It, and yeah, I mean, it goes it's over the same beats. I mean, you you get the whole introduction of you know the whole contest and the the children who are going in you know and trying to get their. Uh, you know, and and the, the children who win the prizes before Willy Wonka.
1: And it's really interesting what Willy Wonka does because they add so much to that process before they even get there.
0: There's a lot of just little things I love, like <sighs> little uh, jokes, like the Augustus, guy with the computer, Augustus Gloop's uh, dad <laughs> eats the, 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 the like the he eats the reporter the microphone. Asked, yeah, he eats the microphone, like. I just remember laughing at that every time I saw the movie. But then
1: there are also tiny scenes that have nothing to do with anything else. Like, a guy says, Gentlemen, I built a computer that will tell us where the next golden ticket is. <laughs> yes. And that plays out. Oh, and then also, oh, the guy,
0: woman who is like, you know, she, she, her husband has been kidnapped. kidnapped and, the, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the kidnapper is like, he wants all the Wonka bars. And the woman has to like, she sits down and is like contemplating. He's like, come on, Mrs. Whatever. your Your husband's life depends on it how much time did he give it to think it over? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you get a lot of buildup to finally, when they show Gene Wilder, like one of the great movie entrances of all time. There's a story about that entrance. Really? Did he come up with it? Yes.
1: And he, Gene Wilder got the script for Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory.
0: Yes. And they introduced, they introduced him earlier.
1: They, no, he, it was, it happened at the same time and he was just supposed to walk out there and say, welcome to the factory and he said this is very interesting but there's something I want to do I want to come out with a cane and then when I get to the door I want to do a somersault and and pop right up yeah and he said wonderful. because because you know it, and he said people will think oh he's a he's crippled and you know who is this guy and and yeah. everybody gets real quiet and solemn <clears throat> and then he just completely fakes him out and they asked him well why do you want to do that and he says because he said this in an interview. He said, because after that point, no one will know whether I'm telling the truth or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that's a great point to make. Whereas, I don't remember how... I feel like Johnny Depp's entrance came with, like, music. There were animatronics. Yeah. But actually, I, Monica, I, Willy Wonka. I,
1: there is something I do kind of like about when he actually shows up. Yeah. Because it, like, pans across the entire group of everybody just being bewildered. And then when you get to the end of the group, there he is. It's yeah. kind of like a Groucho Marx entrance from Tuxedo. Like, <laughs> yeah. You guys expecting
0: somebody? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind of clever too. I mean, obviously, right, the but then it,
1: but then it becomes
0: awkward. Well, the <laughs> seriously well, the, thing, well, the awkward. thing about the two performances is that clearly Johnny Depp t- took very like the the Michael Jackson part mm. very ser- like very much so because and again very similar because and I can understand why Johnny Depp would do that. I am obviously that wasn't there in 1971 when they were making Willy Wonka, but after all these years where you have this you know sort of reclusive genius making all of these works that people are enjoying all across the world you obviously will associate that with Michael Jackson. Now yeah. now with, now I'm torn cuz in a way I think Johnny Depp's performance is really interesting. Even, it is interesting even, in a way. Because even, yeah, because he he, tried, he commits to doing something different yeah, that he, we haven't seen him do before. And there are two sides to
1: his performance. One is this sort of awkward uh, genius thing he does. Hey, hey, kids. Hey, I'm Lee Wonka. And, and he's clearly uncomfortable being around people. Yeah. And, uh, and kind of wants this to be over as fast as possible. Yeah. But on the other hand... He, he's, he's this awkward genius, but on the other hand, whenever he's talking about candy, he becomes much more confident and he knows what he's talking about. And then when people question him about what he does, he becomes, he has this mask of Barely concealed contempt.
0: <laughs> well, he he becomes a dick. There's a little bit of that in Gene Wilder it's, too, but he seems gentler about it. Like but, those moments where Gene Wilder does things like, you know, we are the music makers and we are the dreamers of the dreams. Or
1: when he makes like the blueberry gum, Gene Wilder, he shows it to the people and Violet and he says, you know what this is? And and, and Violet, Violet says, hates it. no, Violet says, buy gum, it's gum, and he's like, wrong. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and he's like, "It's the most powerful, wonderful, amazing Wrong, gum. Ever it's made. the most powerful, awesome gum ever made." Oh, and the best thing too is like, right after she snatches it, he's like, "No, stop, don't wait." I love that. Yeah, I love that too.
1: <laughs> he's so
0: deadpan.
1: I, the best part is when Mike TV jumps up on that at that pedestal and he's like, "Oh, stop. he does that too." And he's like, "Stop, don't come back." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's actually. Gene Wilder, if if Johnny Depp is this awkward genius, yeah. Gene Wilder is this sort of benign megalomaniac, yeah. Who is clearly ahead of everybody else, and he knows he has the, them in the palm of his hand, and he's just letting everything play out. Yeah,
0: there's, and I think that like Gene Wilder, he plays it in such a way where you, uh, like, you almost innately trust him just because Gene Wilder seems like such a decent guy. Well, you can trust him. But, but then there's the madness yeah. underneath, too. There's, like, the rage. Like, when he finally gets angry, really angry at the very end, and you, <laughs> you know, at, at uh, Charlie and Grandpa Joe, he's like, Wrong, sir! Wrong! Yeah, it's devastating. Yeah. When he does that. Because he just, you know, you're like, Oh my god, my, my idol is yelling at me and telling me, You get nothing! You lose! Good day, sir! Yeah. So many great iconic moments. I mean, uh, Veruca Salt, I think about her a lot, just like... I feel like Roald Dahl kind of created somebody who is very prophetic as far as, like, our modern age. Because I feel like a lot of people are very, like, Veruca Salts, Like, people who want it now. I want it now. I want that. Like, he was very much showing, like, a type with a child and also the other kids too well, but she, something about her really sticks out to me
1: the thing that sticks out with me is 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 mike tv because mm. clearly roald dahl had something against television <laughs> this comes out in matilda as well and uh, oh i just thought of a book that hasn't been adapted a uh, uh, roald dahl book that hasn't been adapted Boy? yet uh, no, well yes danny and the champion i was th- no that has been adapted oh okay. champion of the
0: world uh, the magic finger Oh, okay. I have not read that one. I want to tell you though the book I want to see adapted from. Well, there are a couple of books that I've read when I was a kid. One is called The Twits, Uh, and that involves like this family of completely abhorrent, ugly like beasts who have like food in their beards and like they 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 never are hungry because they always find like food in their beards (laughs) that they can eat. (laughs) And that's a pretty twisted book. The other book, which I would love to adapt one day if I ever had my brothers after you druthers, did Katamari Damachi. this book called George's Marvelous Medicine. I don't know if uh, you ever heard of this. I've heard of it. It's like this boy, like has this like he he cooks up potions and like his grandmother or his great grandmother code for meth. Yeah. Well, she's like this total bitch. And one day he just <laughs> de- how dull writes it. Yeah, but one day he decides to make up this medicine for her, which will maybe make her better or shut her up or something or kill her. It almost I don't know I can't I think it does kind of kill her ultimately. You don't remember? It's been so long since I've read it, but basically he gives her the medicine, and it makes her like so violently ill that and like the description of it I I just really stuck with me.
1: Like, made he, her so ill, she crapped her bells.
0: Yeah. I think also it's just because Roald Dahl has a way with making up words, mm. but they make sense. Yeah. You know. And names. Yeah, He's names. like
1: Charles Dickens in that way, where he could just make up names that sound somewhat organic, but also kind of silly.
0: Yeah, but things that make sense innately, like even just the names of the candy, Everlasting Gobstoppers. Yeah. And, uh, Which are
1: candies now.
0: They, they are, I mean, well... But they don't, or they aren't everlasting, so... Well, also, actually, I'm, as, I don't know if you remember this as a kid. Maybe, they, maybe they're they still around. There, were, there was a line of Wonka candy. That's actually part of the reason why the movie was called what it was. Oh, did they try to put out a candy line at the time?
1: They did. The Quaker Oats Company d- just launched a candy line uh, of Willy Wonka candies. Oh, okay. And... The reason they called it Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was that they were trying yeah. to create b- brand synergy.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about Oompa Loompas, by the way. Okay. Which one do you think works better? First one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the second movie, it's kind of interesting, but you almost see too much of them. Almost, yeah. The first movie was a little bit more judicious. Maybe it's because they looked so garish. With their makeup. But every time they appeared, it was memorable because of their songs. Because they sang songs. Yeah. Gum chewing's fine if it's once in a while. It's not bad as smoking, it brightens your smile. But it's repulsive, revolting (laughs) and wrong. Chewing and chewing Uh. all day long. Sorry.
1: (laughs) But it's uh, it's not just the way they look. It's also how well they're used. Because every time the Oompa Loompas show up, uh, a lot of times they are background characters but uh, when but when they step into the foreground they're kind of like they're kind of like a Greek chorus where they just sing about something yes and and do their own dances which is a little bit like the book too and which which is what uh, which is what you remember about the Oompa Loompa their their creepy song about how children
0: are horrible yeah whereas in the the thing, the problem I have in the Burton movie is that they give the Oompa Loompas these extravagant musical yeah. dance numbers, and I don't know what the hell they're singing about. It's tough. Like, I know that they're singing about what's I... going on in each segment, but it's so crazy and over the top. I guess it's meant because the actor was this guy named Deep Roy, right. who actually has appeared in a couple of memorable Doctor not, Who episodes. Which is not his porn star name. No, that's really his name, Deep Roy. Yeah. Or maybe he has a longer name. But, um, you know, he's this little Indian actor who's playing all of the Oompa Loompas. Right. Through the magic of CGI. He's a little person. Yeah. Um, one of the things I remember with the Burton movie, which I didn't think worked too well, was that they actually show the backstory of how Willy Wonka... Found the Oompa Loompas in the jungle or whatever it There's was. There's a
1: lot of backstory in this because even before they get into Wonka's factory, they talk about how Charlie's da- grandfather, worked for Wonka, which and, is also an that was the in the the whole book. story of why he ch- and the whole story of why he closed down his factory. And they try to play it coy by not showing Johnny Depp's face. But they're showing so much yeah. that they can't even build up excitement for the moment when Willy Wonka finally does appear. Every time they talked about the factory and about Wonka in, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, it was always somebody else saying it. it they never showed you anything. No, so you, you had to imagine and you had to be like, what's, what is Wonka like? What's, what's the inside of his factory like? like?
0: Burton showed a little too much. He showed way version. too much. Yeah. Um, now maybe, we have an argument. A little too much. Way too much. A little too much. Way too <laughs> we're, much. We're on the same page, pretty much. Um, yeah, I one mean, more I, thing. I don't dislike Burton's movie. I think it has some good stuff in it. It does uh, have some good stuff. Yeah, I Here's I do... one
1: of the good things about Burton's yeah, uh, Charlie Charlie that I really do like. Christopher Lee.
0: Oh, yeah. He's, he's not in the movie a lot. No, though. He, but he's never before
1: end, right? has Christopher Lee warmed my heart.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because, wh- who
1: remind me, who is he in the... He is Willy Wonka's father.
0: Yeah. See, that, that's the flashback that works so well.
1: That Yes, that works very well. And it, and it is kind of funny the way he sets it up, because Willy Wonka will suddenly have a flashback, Vietnam-style, <laughs> yeah. about his childhood, and people will be like, Hey, Wonka, Wonka! What are you doing? And mm-hmm. then it'll, it'll fade to the, yeah. to the flashback. And then it'll be like, was I just standing here for five minutes? <laughs> and it's all about how his father was a dentist and how he never yeah. got to eat candy as a child. And, you know, basically just going behind his father's back to pursue candy.
0: Yeah.
1: And then when they meet again at the end, mm. it, they have this really great moment. You wouldn't yeah. think that Johnny Depp and Christopher Lee would have a really heartwarming moment together. Hmm.
0: But it, but they do. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, one thing that just occurred to me: I wonder if the whole idea with the book was almost like a big joke on Roald Dahl's part, since you know, because it's it's set in England.
1: At well, least in it's part.
0: it's kind of tricky. Well, I mean, well, he, they, he's an English author. It maybe
1: but what Roald Dahl himself was from was of Norwegian descent. Oh really? I thought he was British. He lived in Britain for most of his okay. childhood.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Actually, I'm not sure. Okay, how much time he actually spent? In okay, because
0: I thought like part of the maybe the idea that this just occurred to me as I was talking. Man, was, I read Boy too, so I know. I actually have not read Boy. <laughs> oh, it's too um, bad. It's a good book. Yeah. Um. He. Okay, but well, I thought maybe because but, but, but after, either way, post World War II, it was very, 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 very difficult to even get like a cup of sugar. Yeah, like you know, things rations were very, very tight in England post war, and I, I forget when exactly he wrote the book. He must have wrote in like the fifties or sixties. But this idea of like this huge, huge chocolate conglo- candy conglomerate out there in the world
1: getting a lifetime supply of
0: chocolate. Yeah, it's that. I wonder if that was like and then inheriting kind of that whole factory. Yes.
1: Uh, let's not forget, by the way, Willy Wonka and the Ch- Chocolate Factory inspired the plot of Snowpiercer. Probably not, but I like to think of it that way.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, you're, you're, they're, they're riding the trains through the different class uh, parts until they get to the top.
1: I mean, what, what happens when he gets to the top?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed Harris? Mm-hmm. It's okay because he's on
1: the cover of the DVD. But both movies actually just skirt the question of where is Willy Wonka's factory? Yeah. We basically can assume Europe, but they never say.
0: Mhm. And it's just, it's not America though. It has a little bit more of like it's a European Probably feeling. not America
1: no. since most of the actors have British accents.
0: That's why I thought of it as English. Aside from Gene Wilder and the actor played Charlie are British.
1: Yeah. But uh, but they never say. Even in the yeah. book they
0: don't say where it takes place. I mean, I would say check out both movies but Willy Wonka but is agree the one with that with
1: us and say that Willy Wonka is the best
0: it's one. not willy wonka is not the best Roald doll movie i would say that is fantastic mr fox and honestly with bfg that might almost be tied now with willy wonka for me like bfg is so good
1: willy wonka and the chocolate factory is probably
0: i will probably say that it is the best more than fantastic mr fox I. I. W- you know what it is? Fantastic Mr. Fox is more. It's more connected with its director, but Willy Wonka is its own full sound of a movie. It depends on what you want. Yeah. If Neither
1: you're... of them are. Are products of. Do- uh, are really products
0: of Roald Dahl. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean the story I mean, is pretty a, close with Willy Wonka in the book. I mean they they changed some things but, but a lot like of the, the same story of Fantastic
1: Mr. Fox is basically just an outline on which they hang a completely different well, not completely different, no, but a much more different atmosphere and bit, story. A little bit. I mean both are excellent movies.
0: Yeah. I mean he's yeah, he, he when when his books are taken and made into you know, good work, that it's like it's why kids like you know, th- these movies stick with them because they have an edge to them. They're not just soft type of fantasies. They're almost, in in their own ways, um, when they're at their best, they work like the early Disney movies. People die. Yeah, people die. There's really horrific things that happen.
1: Actually, I don't think anyone dies in either of those movies, but there is a no, distinct people... threat of death.
0: Um... No, yeah. I mean, well, technically, you know, people do die in the witch in the witches and James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, <laughs> uh, my parents are dead. <laughs> hey, makes him a superhero. Um, yeah. but if you have any other thoughts about these movies, uh as we said at the stop at the top of the bleh, at the top of the podcast. Start at the tarp. Start at the tarp. Uh, the at gmail.com. Best. I don't know did we leave out anything? No. I think that's pretty much... Well, movies. James
1: and the cha- yeah. whatever there and the was, champion in the
0: world. I will mention the that I've missed. there's also an animated version of the BFG out there. Huh. Which I saw, I think, and I don't have that strong of a memory we'll of. We'll save
1: it for next time, I think. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We can dig into all the cracks and get
0: everything else. Exactly. Exactly. Well, um... Yeah. Roll doll. Here's to you, sir. Cheerio. Click. All
1: right. And before we leave, uh a- and after we encourage you to subscribe and write reviews of us, uh I just like to give you an idea of what we're ca- to expect for our next episode. Yes. It's a very important anniversary coming up. Uh on what date?
0: Um the exact date of release I think was July 18th. I don't I don't have it right in front of me though.
1: And how many years has it been?
0: 10 years. Uh, ten, 10, full years, man, of, uh... 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, wait, 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 I... July 21st. 10 that's it, years ago
1: on July 21st.
0: Which will be two weeks from t- when we're recording this.
1: M. Night Shyamalan released his most recent f- epic, Lady in the Water. And boy, if you didn't see this in the theater, you probably didn't miss much. But...
0: <laughs> but we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about a book... Uh, that was written while the movie was being made, called "The Man Who Heard Voices."
1: So we'll hope. So we're going to give you insight into this major uh,
0: happening. Yeah. Oh, we're we're going to show you the it's signs. It's hard to
1: describe why this is important to us. We watched this early on as we were becoming friends, and I think
0: it kind of cemented for Jack and I. This notion of... We uh, had two major experiences, I think. The first was the very first movie night, which was the Star Wars Holiday Special. And then there was what we called Narf Night, which was Wacko's Wish and Lady in the Water.
1: It kind of cemented our relationship and made us into the film people we are today. Yes. And we have to share with you the story of Lady in the Water... And why its failure is so significant. Not
0: just to us, but to the world at large. Yeah, and to Uh, Autordom. Talk talk about
1: the rise and fall of M. Night Shyamalan.
0: Yes. So we're going to have for you a kind of combination podcast. uh, Both a required reading, because it is a book that we'll be talking about, but also... Um what we started uh With Myra several Breckenridge. yeah, Dr. Jack and Dr. Andrews case files.
1: Dr. Andrew and Dr. Jack's book club. <laughs> yes.
0: I like the case files thing. It makes it like we're we're on like a te- we're, we're like we're, archaeologists. Yeah, we're opening craft. up yeah. <laughs> we 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 find a bat, we find a really awful movie like laying the water will be like when Indiana Jones uh uh, meets up with uh, what's his name he's like this is what we got into this whole thing for this is so great yeah <laughs> so make sure you join us uh, for that and uh, until next time I'm Jack I'm Andrew and remember the wages of cinema is death Good night. Good night.